The Real Chemistry Podcast connects the dots between our guests and the innovative work they do to show up and shape the future of healthcare. Why? So you, the listener, are encouraged to join us on our relentless pursuit to make the world a healthier place for all. Some may call it idealism. We call it real chemistry. Hello, I'm Aaron Strout, CMO of Real Chemistry and the host of the Real Chemistry Podcast. And today, my colleague, Jim Weiss, our founder and chairman of Real Chemistry, uh, are revisiting a conversation we've had a couple of times with Dr. Monica Gandhi. Dr. Monica Gandhi is an infectious disease physician and an HIV researcher at UCSF. And um, we found that she's been invaluable in terms of sort of giving us the state of the state and grounding us in where we are with COVID, where we are with treatments, testing the risks, what we need to be looking out for. So this episode is no different. Um, She brings the research. She brings all the answers we're looking for. And fingers crossed, sounds like we are truly getting to a better place. So uh, without further ado, I am going to let her come in and uh, share some of her wisdom. Dr. Gandhi, we are so happy to have you back. Uh, I think the last time we touched base with you was back in December. And as we were joking in our pre-show warm-up, it's about that time we have you on the the podcast again, because you're such a great expert and are able to really, I think, make people um, get get to the truth and and really cut through the BS. So with that, Jim and I are going to ask you some questions that we know are on our people's minds. And Jim, I'm going to let you take the first one regarding uh, some news out of the White House this weekend. Well, the first was really, I think, you know, we thought this was a good time, but it got a little more urgent or or felt like it got more urgent over the weekend. And I was sort of wondering from your perspective, you know, should we, you know, based on this request for more funding and the, you know, sort of dire predictions for the fall in particular, you know, is there some change here that we should know about or, or, you know, can we kind of at least, you know, live by some of the things we've already learned? Yeah, I think it's such a great question because you're right, just over the weekend, it was almost framed like if we don't get this money, we're going to have another winter of death. Um, and, and, and you know, that's a phrase that, that President Biden was criticized for over this last um, surge in Omicron over the winter uh, because, you know, we had so much more immunity in our population. Um, we, we have to just keep on look, checking in on our immunity and our vaccination rates and our immunity and seeing where we are with the pandemic. So I do think we need ongoing funding for COVID. We always will because it'll always be with us. But I'm not sure we needed the urgency of what was said about the funding or even that amount because I think it's pretty clear now we have three tools. It's just really quite simple. We have vaccination um, and figuring out who needs boosters when. We have uh, therapeutics, which is... If you um, need an oral antiviral, if you're unvaccinated, is actually the only population it's been studied in. Uh, if you're unvaccinated and are at risk for severe disease, you should get an oral antiviral. The FDA has approved it 
for those who are vaccinated and at risk. But we need to figure out who really needs that because we're kind of using Paxlovid, at least in the news, in asymptomatic people who are not at risk for severe disease, like our vice president. You know, we're kind of overusing it in that sense and then not using it enough, I think, in people who need it. So um, therapeutics. And the third is Evusheld. And Evusheld is a long-acting monoclonal antibody that if you're very immunocompromised, like my father was recently during chemo, you give someone a monoclonal antibody that lasts six months and protects them against COVID, even Omicron. Those three, vaccines, therapeutics, and who needs Evusheld is the way that I think of how we're going to manage COVID from now on. Well, that's helpful. And it's a, a good way to lead into the next question. And that is, let's start with a little bit of the state of the state. We were talking before about the fact that Caseloads have started to rise. I know out here in the Bay Area where the three of us are, I've had a number of friends that have contracted, those who have been super safe, um, yet hospitalizations haven't been rising. Right. Um, tell us a little bit about what you're seeing out there and what your level of concern is. I'm going to the game tonight, as you can see. So should I yeah. be wearing a mask? <laughs> well, it's a great question. I'm not, uh, I would say I'm not very worried about the Bay Area because of the hospitalization. So this is, we're, in, we're at the, everyone's at in, in their own head deciding how they deal with COVID anxiety, right? And right now, if you go by cases versus hospitalizations, and if you go by cases, not only are cases rising, but there are going to be periods of time that they're always rising. And remember, um, we never used to swab everyone's nose for RSV or influenza. And we actually didn't know if cases were rising of a particular respiratory virus. The only reason we could clock that something bad was happening was looking at our hospitalizations. And it's very interesting to see the Bay Area. I work in a hospital. We have very few handful, less than five people in the hospital and with COVID. And it's really important to see the power of immunity, what's happened now. Because if you look at the news and you think and you look at just cases, it will look like things are going off the rails, but they're not in terms of severe disease. And that's not just because of our vaccination rate. Let's be fair about it. We also have a high level of exposure in the United States to COVID. There was a CDC study on April 26 that showed that 60% of adults have been exposed to COVID nucleocapsid antibodies, which is only antibodies if you've seen the virus, and zero to 18-year-olds, 75% of children have seen COVID-19. That is likely true worldwide because Omicron, so many people, as we talked about it last time, so many people saw the virus. And the deaths from COVID are at their lowest number worldwide than they've ever been. I know that may not be reflected in mainstream news, but they've ever been in throughout the entire pandemic to the point that the World Health Organization on March 30th said, we have to stop the emergency phase. We're no longer in the emergency phase of this pandemic. We have to de-escalate all of this and get back to life and figure out who needs boosters in the future. But they said that on March 30th. So let's talk boosters. You know, my wife is figuring it out. I think she's coming up to her six month mark. It seems like that's about when someone might get it. I know I had mine at around six months. Is that about when we think that's a good time to get them? Yes, but I'll tell you, okay, one thing I'll say is there's no harm to get a booster. So I kind of want to start with that because, um, I really, there was some concern early on from immunologists that it would be harmful to get a booster, but there was a very nice paper in Nature Immunology that showed the more exposures you get either to the virus or to the, or to the vaccine itself, you just keep on expanding your T-cells repertoire. So it's, it's not 
uh, tiring them out or anything. And so I think that's important. That that I thought was an important thing for us to figure out in the pandemic. Is it okay to get lots of boosters? So, okay. So then who needs a booster? I think who needs a booster are those who are at risk for severe disease and breaking through their three shots with severe disease, for example, or even two shots if they're still on two shots. Because if we keep on boosting just for mild disease, number one, it doesn't work. Um, I think we all are seeing that many people are not that far out from their third shot and they're still getting infected. You can't prevent all infections with boosters. And number two, it's not a very sustainable strategy to keep on boosting everyone's antibodies every six months. We've never done that for another infectious disease. So really, if we keep our eye on the price, severe disease, who needs it for to prevent them from getting severe disease? Well, there was a study from the CDC uh, after Delta that showed the risk factors were being older and having medical conditions, being over 75 and having four medical conditions, needing a third shot and also being immunocompromised. So what would we say now? Well, I'll tell you what Europe has said. They've said everyone over 80. They, ne- they didn't say over 70. They didn't say over 60. The United States has said over 50. But you can see not a lot of 50-year-olds are rushing out to get their fourth shot. And I think if I really looked at the spot where it made the biggest difference, it's probably over 65. That that I, if I were over 65, like my two parents, I've asked them to get a fourth shot because cases are going up. Everyone else, I would recommend the fourth shot near the winter, you know, near the fall, because I know cases are going to go up in the fall and winter. It's just what a respiratory pathogen does. So your your parents, um, let's say they've gotten it, you know, are they then able to go out without a mask or hang out with you guys or should they wear them? So what are, what are the next steps of precautions? This is the other thing I think that people don't realize is how well these vaccines work. Like, I almost feel like, and we've talked about this before, that the masking was kind of to get us to the vaccines, the masking, the um, distancing, the ventilation, the contact tracing, the testing. We had to keep transmission down to the best of our ability. I mean, we closed businesses. We did a lot, but we were trying to keep transmission down to get to the vaccines. Now, the question is, how well do the vaccines work? Well, there is a study. I'll give you a good example because my father's immunocompromised. He just went through chemo. Um, There was a study in clinical infectious disease that showed that with three shots, those who are immunocompromised, even with cancer, even with chemotherapy, are very well protected. There were only two groups who were not well protected by three doses. And these are because these mRNA vaccines are so good. They were solid organ transplant recipients and people who are on B cell depleting therapies. I can send you that study. Those are the patients that need to be on Evusheld for the next six months while we're getting through this next time. But my father, I absolutely, he's out without a mask. He went to Mother's Day uh, food yesterday, uh, you know, um, with my mother. And, um, and, and we feel very comfortable with his four shots after chemo. These are good vaccines. I love that you always come so armed with research. So thank you for <laughs> being such a great resource. I guess related to masks, and last time we did talk about the fact that we were going into the holidays. We're going into the holidays again over the next couple of months. And one of the things that that means is travel on planes or other transportation I know a lot of the airlines have lifted mask mandates. If you're flying tomorrow, would you be wearing a mask? And, you know, what about other people immunocompromised or not? Yes, I actually think we are in the phase of the pandemic where we have to decide about our mask wearing based on our individual risk tolerance and also our individual vulnerability. So, for example, 
my father is, I keep on using my father because I think it's a good example. 87, just after chemo, he's going to be flying and he will be wearing a very nice mask on the plane. And I mean like a KN95 and 95. I, uh, after three doses, do not feel concerned. I really trust my vaccine. Do not feel concerned about contracting severe COVID. I happen to have not even gotten mild COVID yet, but not concerned. So I probably would not mask. So I feel like it is really a risk tolerance decision. And do I think mask mandates are going to come back? I think they're going to try to come back. Like I think they just started them in San Jose today. Um, but I think they're going to pre-drop quickly because mask mandates itself didn't seem to make that much of a difference. I'm not saying masks don't work, but I'm saying that mask mandates, people are wearing a cloth mask. It's off their nose. It's like you're eating. Like if you think about mandates, it was just a whole bunch of different people doing a whole bunch of different things. And the masks that we really realized really block out transmission the best, N95s, KN95s, FFP2s, KF94s. And those are the four masks that I would recommend people who tonight, if you don't want exposure to a respiratory virus, you want to wear it. Those are the four types of masks to wear or um, or my father on a plane or anyone who's vulnerable, immunocompromised or just simply wants less exposure. It won't block it completely. There's been very famous stories about people who never take off their N95, but it just won't block it completely. Well, thank you for that update. And I think it is, you know, it's that balance of mental health and normality and getting back to, you know, and I guess maybe you could talk a little bit about that because obviously we've seen the impact of the pandemic and part of that has been kids in schools with masks, being on airplanes, feeling like you can't see the humanity in people anymore. Um, I'm sure you have some research on that, or at least have given that some thought. So any update? I actually really have because I've been really interested in the school closures and what ended up happening. And and as you know, there was just a big report from Harvard yesterday that uh, online learning um, was really affected high poverty regions. And there was an estimate that um, racial and ethnic minorities from being more online learning, um, it could really set back uh, people for a very long time, children for a very long time. So it's it's very kind of, you know, I call it harm reduction, but you decide you, you want to minimize a pathogen. Absolutely. And then you also want to like think about other aspects of life, like mental health. And I think a good example is that White House dinner um, that uh, President Biden attended last Friday, April 30th, um, or Saturday. It was kind of the first normalcy that we had seen out of a president in a big um, group, 2,600 people. He was sitting up there. He looked happy. Uh, Everyone was having a nice time. And um, yes, there were some cases, but did anyone get sick? No, they did not. And in fact, the gridiron dinner prior to that, there were a lot of senators and senators tend to be older in our country. And uh, all the senators that tested positive, many of them didn't have symptoms at all, like our own um, senator here in California, Nancy Pelosi. She actually said she had zero symptoms, but tested positive. So you know, for me, everyone's going to say, oh, that's a failure of the vaccines. I call that a success of the vaccines. They work very well. And we do have to get back, I think, to mental health and to being together. At some point, the mental health aspects of avoiding a pathogen, I think, do over tip, um, you know, not avoiding a pathogen, especially when you're protected from severe disease, which is what we care so much about. And that's what the vaccines do for us. Well, we heard that predicted. And then last night, 60 Minutes featured a story. There was a kid on who talked about at a very young age being suicidal, but it was, you know, one of many and you keep hearing it and hearing it. And someone asked me today, you know, what do you think in terms of, you know, people who are, you know, sort of out of the workforce? Well, you know, 
you've got to bring people back into, you know, that's where you meet people. Right? We met that's people right. on the job. I mean, how do you have a social life? You didn't, you know, you meet your, your significant others that way. You cannot meet people this way. No. And in fact, you know, what's really interesting is Stat News had over the weekend, it was May, well, it was actually May 3rd, a comment that now COVID is like the flu. Now, this has been a very fraught commentary to ever make uh, prior to this point um, because we didn't have vaccines and because it was much more deadly than the flu. Now it's more predictable. We keep on getting more transmissible variants. We know how to we know that older people are going to need boosting. That's what the WHO said um, when they said that we need to de-escalate the emergency phase. They said boost everyone now who's vulnerable, who's older. They said if we get a worst variant, boost everyone in the world. And if we get a better variant, no one will need a booster. And those were their three management considerations to get out of the emergency phase. It was very simple. Worst variant, better variant, base scenario, boost the older people. And they said, then you have to live with it. And so Stat News pointed out all the reasons why now we're in the phase where it's like living with influenza. And we, you know, that people who are vaccinated, especially are very, very little at risk to get hospitalized. If they are, it's it's people who we need to give boosters to. Even the unvaccinated, a lot of people have been exposed. They have natural immunity. And so we're kind of in that flu territory. And the question is, when do we get back to like normal life. Like, I think it's a decision for each society to make. Denmark decided um, way before we did, but they had higher rates of vaccination. So they decided five months ago, UK decided two months ago, they've had no restrictions for two months, none, um, even though they were going through um, BA2, 12, one. So every country is just making that decision. And every human, I think, is making a decision for themselves. Do I want to be out there where I could catch COVID, but hopefully, well, not hopefully, it's going to be mild because I'm vaccinated. Um, or do I want to be at home? And I, I honestly think everyone's, it's it's kind of everyone's risk decisions at this point. Interesting. Do you think we'll see a drop in things like influenza and even the common cold? Because A, we've learned how to be better about our hygiene, washing hands, using hand sanitizer, maybe wearing masks more. And I think you know, because everyone stayed more separated, social distancing, we saw fewer colds, or do you see the opposite happening? Maybe our immune systems are, have let down now. And so we're more susceptible over the next six to 12 months. I'm actually more worried about the latter because of what we saw this time last year, this time last year, remember, and we may have talked, we were in like this honeymoon phase because Delta had not come and we didn't have like the super highest rates of vaccination in our country, but we had pretty good rates of vaccination. It was enough for Delta before Delta. And the cases were really low, hospitalizations were really low, and everyone was going back to life. RSV, which is a respiratory syncytial virus, came back with a vengeance then. I mean, actually, there was a CDC report in May of 2021. It's like, why are we seeing RSV in the in the spring? We usually see this in the um, fall and winter. So it was this thing called viral interference where, um, you know, once other viruses are less, so um, this, these other viruses may come in. I, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm a little concerned that yes, we're going to keep on, we're never going to get rid of these viruses. So uh, yes, I think they're going to come back and we're going to see them, which is why we want to keep our trust up in public health. We want people to get the flu vaccine. Um, there's going to be a new RSV vaccine. There's going to be new RSV treatments, but we have to keep on managing respiratory pathogens moving forward. Um, and 
They're going to be new medications for all of them because we learned so much from COVID. And the one final thing I'll say is ventilation. I do think that like, why not? Like if you're in a crowded setting, have that window open. Why not have more ventilation? Like it's good for all respiratory pathogens. Well, I was going to ask, you know, what was keeping you up at night? It sounds like RSV. Um, now that you feel a little like we've got COVID relatively, you know, at least we know what to do. We have the tools for COVID. We actually don't have the tools for RSV. We just happen to not have a vaccine yet. And it's very, uh, it can be very, make very little children very ill. So um, I do, I do actually think this, that everything we learned through COVID, we are going to apply and do better with other respiratory pathogens. We have better treatments for COVID than we have for influenza. I don't know if anyone's ever taken Tamiflu, but it barely works. I mean, it kind of works. It reduces your symptoms by two days. But Paxlovid, that is a good antiviral. Right. And it's working for people, I think. Yeah, it really works. What about the J&J vaccine? Now that's not available. Is that of any concern? You know, that's an interesting question because um, the FDA did demote it. That out of 18.7 million doses given out in the United States, there were 60 cases of this clotting disorder with also bleeding, and um, it can be very severe. It's still rare, and the and it occurs more in young women. Um, and so I would never want them to get rid of a vaccine completely because there may be people who are more comfortable, um, who have young men who are more likely to get the, the rare mild myocarditis with mRNA vaccines. They may want their J&J for younger men and then keep mRNA for young women. So I don't think they should get rid of it completely. What I'm kind of excited about is Novavax because that is being approved, uh, sorry, that's being um, reviewed at the FDA in less than a month, it's in June. And um, Novavax, if we really look at our population, we still don't have the rates of vaccination that other countries do. You know, we're okay, we're 82.5% one dose, people have gotten one dose above five. But if you really look at people who've gotten two doses, we're at a 70% vaccination rate. And that isn't um, above 12. And that isn't actually true of like um, Denmark that has a, a much a 20% higher than, that, than we. So we've gotten distrust in our society about mRNA vaccines. I'm sorry about it. I think they're great vaccines, but it's just what it is. And if that's where we are, I think we need a more traditional vaccine. And Novavax is just basically a protein and an adjuvant coming together, really good vaccine. And I, I think it's going to increase our vaccine rates. Great. Well, that's some good news. Yeah. So I have one more question and I think Jim may have one or two more questions, but I guess as you look forward, let's assume we're going to talk again one more time in, you know, September, October, and ideally we are fully in the endemic versus pandemic. Everything is mostly returned to normal. What advice do you give to people over the next six, eight months as they're managing this? You know, I think everyone just make decisions about what's important to you um, and decide how much you want to return to normal or you want to still avoid a respiratory pathogen. It's a highly transmissible respiratory pathogen. I'm sorry we can't get rid of it. I wish we could, but we can't. 29 species of animals have COVID in it. In April 2020, when they first described those tigers, remember in a zoo that had COVID? Yep. It was that day that I thought to myself, oh my gosh, we'll never eradicate it. And I was so sad because I knew it would never go away and it won't. And so if you have the tools where you protect yourself from getting severe disease with vaccines, if your loved ones, like my, my older father, who's immunocompromised, have tools that are ready and waiting if I need them for treatment, 
um, we are going to probably decide as a family to to see each other, you know, over the summer and and to travel. So I, it is going to be a personal thing. But think about your children's especially mental health and what they need. That makes sense, Jim. Anything else for uh, our yeah, team? We've learned a lot. These updates are helpful. I think you know it sounds like it's a little bit of common sense and personal risk tolerance that you have to apply like so many other things. And I think when you talk about this flu, there was a time when we weren't managing the flu. There was no Tamiflu. There were new variants and there still are. And it's so imperfect. So it's really not anything all that different. So I think it really becomes now part of your overall respiratory pathogen management exactly um, that you got to think about here uh, you know as opposed but with to better tools than we had for flu way to be better tools. I, yeah. I agree and so much has happened so quickly and i think there'll probably be more help on the way there's this protease inhibitor being studied without ritonavir it's an excellent protease inhibitor it's going to be great five days i mean that's what i'm saying like what you just said is true better vaccines better treatments like it's not going to stop the progress isn't going to stop Right. So I think in the end of the day, um, we can walk away from this podcast feeling a bit more optimistic. Yeah. You felt really good last time because the Omicron variant was your favorite and it did prove to be less deadly. We're in a better place, even though it rears its head from time to time, less hospitalizations. But Omicron gave the world a lot of immunity and I would rather have them have a lot of immunity with the less deadly variant. So it was my favorite. And um, we have a lot of immunity now. So that's why our deaths are lowest than they've ever been. And since the beginning of the pandemic, keep your eye on the price, severe disease. You were spot on. So with that, we will say thank you to Dr. Monica Gandhi, who's an infectious disease physician, HIV researcher, which is how we first met you at UCSF. Thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy schedule. It's always a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you and enjoy the game tonight. Thanks, go Warriors. (laughs) Okay, thank you. Want more episodes of the Real Chemistry Podcast? We post a new episode every Thursday. Subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Stitcher app, or iHeartRadio via the Health Podcast Network. Go to realchemistry.com for more info.